This morning we're going to continue our series uh, called out Divisions in the Church out of 1 Corinthians. But before we read the passage or go too far into that, I wanted to say that last week we were privileged to have Dr. John Sirkar from Bangladesh with us as he ministered to us by sharing the word and showing us incredible slides of the ministry that's going on there in Bangladesh. And um, at the end of both services last week, we um, kind of surprised you with a Bible offering, which we do occasionally around here. And um, just wanted to kind of give a little report on that. The total amount that came in uh, is in excess of $17,000. Amen? So if I could uh, just say thank you to Valley Bible Church and your kindness, uh, it, it gives me great pleasure to be a pastor at a church that responds like that unbeknownst to you that you would be giving that offering that morning you still did it and we still have um, reports coming in online giving that we have not registered yet we haven't got all those reports in yet so that number will probably go even higher so uh, hopefully uh, by the time's all said and done we'll be able to fulfill the list of things that John Sirkar asked us for which just happens to be in the pulpit still somehow that was sitting right here when I came up here so uh, that means I forgot to take it off last week but um, praise God praise God huh what a response what a response um, like I said we have returned to 1st Corinthians and that's what we're going to do we're going to start off by going to uh, I have chapter 3 down for the folks up in the booth but I want to go back a little ways and grab hold of the paragraph before that Todd spoke on a couple weeks ago and just kind of I think it ties in very well with what we're going to speak about so I just thought we would go there and then we'll go forward after that um, so I'm going to go back to chapter 2 verse 14 read down and we will be studying and looking at and preaching on 1 Corinthians 3 1 through 9 but let's read this together but a natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised but he who is spiritual appraises all things yet he himself is appraised by no one for who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him but we have the mind of Christ and I brethren could not speak to you as to spiritual men but as to men of flesh as to infants in Christ I gave you milk to drink not solid food for you were not yet able to receive it indeed even now you are not yet able for you are still fleshly for since there is jealousy and strife among you are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men for when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the truth of Scripture. It's our prayer this morning that the Holy Spirit will utilize the speaker in such a way that we will stay within the word of God as we preach this morning for your word is what will change the individuals in the room thank you very much for the opportunity to share the truth of scripture with the church and with your people we ask you to uh, take over as it were that you will take the microphone from the speaker speak through the speaker and uh, that people's lives will be changed in Jesus name amen so um, before I start on this let me take these off so that I can actually see all of you um, but before we get started in it I just want to say a couple things I I say this not because I uh, 
not because I'm confused. I want the Lord to use this message to convict you this morning. What we find out in this passage, there's, there's one of, you're one of two things in the building this morning. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're, you're living one of two ways. You're either living according to the natural man, the fleshly man, the carnal man, or you're living according to the spirit. And there's no middle ground. You don't get to dance back and forth. You're one or the other. And that's what he's saying here. And so let's dive into it because I went about 10 minutes over in first service. So you can be thankful that I did that in the first service because that means I'm going to try my best not to do that in the second service. But every time I try not to do that, I end up going longer. So pray for me as we go. Preach is what we're going to do. And I'll stop whenever the Lord tells me to stop. So first I want to explain how I got to the word carnal. It used to be a word that at Valley Bible Church back in Holy Ghost Hall, it was a constant word I heard. I heard it all the time. I was only 14 and I was told about carnal life, carnal life, carnal life. To the point where I'm like, well, what in the world does that even mean? Well, the reason we come up with the term carnal from our passage is if you look at it, there's three times in the first four verses that we see the word flesh or fleshly. And that is where we get the word from. That carnal word comes right out of that flesh. It comes out of these Greek words, and I'm not a Greek student. Um, Todd is a Greek professor, so he should be preaching this part right here. But instead, I'll do it because I studied it. But um, the word for flesh is sarkonos, which comes from the Greek word for flesh or sarks which we can translate into English by the word fleshy. Fleshy. Okay? So now, <laughs> Paul does not use this word to humiliate or put them down. He's using it in recognition of who they were by nature. They are fleshy or of the flesh. Some versions that you are looking at right now, some of you are in the NIV, it says worldly. Well, we're, I like this NASB thing that I like to read out of all the time. New American Standard Bible, and it says fleshy, and then fleshly. So two different words there. But um, what I do notice, though, this morning, um, everyone here this morning is this first word, you're fleshy. Every one of you is fleshy. Some of you are more fleshy than others. And I will just go on. I won't stay on that very long. And then the second and third use in verse 3 there, it's used two more times, it's a little bit different word. In the English, it looks like it's the same word, but it's a little bit different because it, it goes from men of flesh in verse 1, and then it comes down here and says, for you are still fleshly. A little different word. And that word in the Greek is sarkikos. has the same root meaning, but it means this in the Greek, to be dominated by the flesh. You're being dominated by the flesh. And that's what he's going to talk about there. And how did I get carnal out of that? You're saying, well, you still haven't explained that. Well, in the Latin form, the Latin uh, root word is carne. Carne. That's how we get carnal. So carne, you all have heard that because you all order carne. Don't you at the Mexican place? Carne sada, isn't it? It's a, it's a fried steak or grilled steak. Yeah, yeah, you guys do that. I know you do. I've done it, so I know you do. But that's where we get the term. Carne comes right out of the Latin word for this sarkikos. They use carne to come to that carnal state. So it just means to be in your flesh, to be carnal, to have a, a nature that says, I'm going to go after what my flesh wants. So now that we've done that, so you can understand now how I got to the word carnal, um, Paul addresses them initially in this passage. The address of who he, the way he does that is super important that we hear this. All right, we're losing families already. Um, Paul addresses them as Christians from the beginning. From the very beginning. What's he say? And I, brethren, or yours, if you're looking at the NIV, you think it says brothers and sisters which is accurate, it's accurate. When we see that brethren, it applies to both the men and women that are there. So he refers to them as brethren. And then he also, at the end of that verse, 
He says, I couldn't, because he says, I couldn't address you as spiritual men, but as men of flesh, men of this carnal state. That's the only way I could address you. But look what he says. I addressed you as to infants in Christ. The only way that you can be here this morning and be in Christ or to be a brother or brethren or sister is if you are a Christian, a believer, someone that's taken the word of God and you said, I have found someone told me that Jesus Christ came to the earth, died on a cross, paid for my sins on that cross, was buried and rose again according to 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. He says, that's the good news. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, when you accepted that, you became a brother. You became in Christ. When you first got saved, everyone in the room, when you first got saved, when you accepted Christ, new life sprung up. It says in Scripture that you were born again. Born again. New life sprung up in you. You were dead in your sins and trespasses, but by grace, through faith, you accepted Jesus Christ. This not of yourself. It was a gift of God that he gave you the faith to believe. You accepted him, and new life sprung up. You suddenly have a relationship with the Father. It's a wonderful truth. Isn't it? A, it's the foundation of why we're here. But you can't stay there. That's what Paul's saying. He says, when I came, I brought you this good news. But I like the fact that he's about to get on him a little bit here. He's going to tell him a few things about themselves. But he starts off with, I'm not talking to the unbeliever. I'm talking to brethren. I'm talking to those that are in Christ. Guess who I'm talking to this morning? If you're here and you've never placed faith in Jesus Christ, I'm really not talking to you. Now, I just told you how you can become saved. If you place faith in that ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you place faith in the truth of that he died for your sins, that he was buried and rose again, if you do that, you can become a believer. But if you're not here believing that, you're not a believer. So what we're about to talk about really isn't for you. This is really, I'm talking to the believer in the room. I'm talking to the person that says, I am part of the church. Because that's who Paul's talking to. So I can't talk to somebody else because the passage doesn't cover that. It's covering what you should be doing as a believer. Okay, now then. I've said this in the earlier service. It is not my job to convict you. That's the Holy Spirit's job. He will convict you according to what his ministry is to you this morning. So please do not take this as I'm on you, although I'm going to be on you. But I'm only doing it because that's what the passage requires. I love all of you. I want you to grow. I don't want you to be infants. I don't want you to stay babies. I want you to become strong and become spiritually minded because you can do nothing to please God in your flesh. Nothing. If you're one of these people that likes to go out and pick plastic bottles off the beach, well, good. That means nothing. That's just good works. You're doing good works. Well, praise God, you're doing good works. That's nice. But God says all your good works apart from him are filthy rags. So if you don't include him in the process of what you're doing, it's filthy rags. Stop thinking worldly. Stop thinking fleshly. Start thinking spiritually. Let me tell you about this. What's an infant look like? Let's look at this. An infant, we, we like to say babies. Like, what a beautiful baby. We'll go, what a beautiful infant. Most people don't use that language. Paul used it, but he's really saying babies. So here's an interesting, I, I picked this up from a guy named uh, Ray Stedman, Dr. Ray Stedman, and um, 
He's a guy that helped me get through seminary. He's been with the Lord for a while, but in seminary, I used a lot of his stuff to um, help me reference things because he was the guy, believe it or not, that mentored Chuck Swindoll. So it's a pretty good source for you to go to. So anyway, this is what he said, so I'll read it to you. There's nothing wrong with babies. Everyone starts out that way. Babies are delightful, little creatures. They're delightful little creatures, aren't they? They're beautiful. You love to hold them. Oh, they're so precious until about three in the morning when they're screaming and then they become their mom's child. But up to a point. But they require a lot of care. They are messy. They burp and they spill over in various ways and you know what ways those are. Someone has described a baby as an alimentary canal, which is basically a digestive tract, with a mouth at one end and no responsibility at the other. That is what a baby is. No one minds that when babies are little. We all have to have that kind of care. And even a young father, and I used to be a young father, will learn to change a diaper. So that's a wonderful kind of description of babies and that type of thing. But I was thinking about it, I go, but what about when they're five? I, I don't want to be changing a diaper of a five-year-old. What about when they get to be 10 or 15 or 20? Now, I've kind of translated this across. If they're still doing those behaviors, that's tragic. It's tragic. And, and you might say, as I would say, that's a disgusting condition to be in. Now, I understand sometimes people don't have the mental capabilities. That's not who I'm talking about today. I'm talking about your average individual. When you have a person that's been in your home and you've raised them, and you've raised them from diapers to out of diapers, and they keep making childish decisions... There's nothing more frustrating as a parent than to have your children make childish decisions when they're old enough to know better. That's what Paul's talking about here, spiritual babyhood. It continues too long. And spiritual babyhood requires continued milk. Milk and milk and more milk and milk and milk and more milk. And I'm here to tell you that if you stay on milk, you will do nothing but stay a baby. And so that's what Paul is speaking against in this passage. Get out of your carnal nature and get into a spiritual nature. How does he address them? Brethren, in Christ, so we know that they're in the family of God, they are believers. What could he not do? He could not speak to them as spiritually mature individuals. Think of this. Back to baby talk again. I studied a lot about babies this week. Okay, so think about this. You have an infant, a newborn. They're like a week, two weeks old. Are you cutting up a filet mignon and feeding it to them? No, you don't do that. They're not ready to handle that. And the longer you can wait to give them filet mignon, there's more for you. But what do you do with a baby? At the beginning, you feed them milk. They, they, and they don't even get milk. They get breast milk, which is completely different than any other form of milk that we would take. Or they get a formula. And what does that do? It helps them to grow. It gives them strength. Okay? Now, I used this illustration in the first service, so I'm going to use it here, and hopefully it doesn't offend any of you. I'm not calling you a cow or your children cows. But when I was little... I was probably about 12 or 13. My dad bought a calf, a little calf, and um, somehow it became my responsibility to feed that calf all the time. But he was so little when we first got him that we had to feed him with a bottle. You would go warm milk up or warm water up, put a formula together, stir that up, and you had this giant bottle, and I would take this calf and force its mouth onto the nipple of that bottle and feed the calf. As the calf grew, and got strength, I no longer needed the bottle. I took the bottle away. The problem in the church today is so many people are still in the bottle, and, and Pastor Phil used to say, you gotta part their whiskers to give them the bottle. That's a little bit late in life to be needing milk still. 
But anyway, so you would take this. So I had to learn that this calf had to do this. So then I got where the calf needed more milk. So the bottle was just too small. We couldn't do that anymore. So then I would take this huge tub, like a, probably a 10-gallon deal, and I would mix up the, the formula in there, and I would take it, and I would get the calf by the, around the neck and pull it down and throw milk up into its face and use my fingers and put them in his mouth. He'd begin to suck on my fingers, and I'd pull him down into the milk, and he would continue to drink it. And then eventually it got where I didn't have to do that. You just see the tub, and he would go for it. He would get the milk. And then it went to grain, and then to alfalfa. And you fed him and fed him and fed him, and then we killed him and ate him. All right, so that, that part of the story is not what we're relating to you or your children. But don't, isn't this true? You don't want to be feeding a 15-year-old with a bottle. Right? And you don't want the alimentary canal results of a 15-year-old that's only on milk. Amen? You can say amen to that whether you're a spiritual person or not. You don't want to be cleaning up after a 15-year-old. So this is what Paul's telling him. Look, I was with, look, Paul was with them probably longer than he was with any other church. He stayed with the Corinthians for a year and a half, teaching them the truth, presenting the gospel. They got saved. He keeps telling them the truth, and they're not growing. He leaves. He's been gone about a year and a half. He's writing this letter from Ephesus. So we know that in timeline, he's probably been about three to four years since they first accepted the gospel and became Christians. And what does he say? I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. Why? Because you weren't able to receive it. But now here's the problem. The middle of verse two. Indeed, even now you are not yet able. Why are you still drinking milk three years later or four years later? We've been presenting to you the truth of how to grow in the Christian life and you still want milk. What's going on? You're still not ready for it. Well, what's going on is the beginning of number three. Four Four is some word, you always want to look at four because it's going to point you to something direct. Four, you are still fleshly. You're still being, or your Bible might say worldly, but you're still fleshly. You're still living according to the desires of the flesh. You're letting the desires of the flesh rule what you take in your body, what you do with your life. You're not being spiritual. You're looking at what, everyone else is doing when you look at worldly what happens is this there's nothing wrong with the world outside the church that's how they're supposed to act get used to it if you're worried about the political part of this country so what that's outside the church what the problem is is when we get the world in the church and that's what's going on in america and the church all over you got people that are babies still they're infants. They're in Christ. They're saved, but they haven't grown. And they're depending on everyone else to help them grow. My grandson is 16 years old. I don't have to make him a sandwich anymore. He knows how to make his own sandwich. He can preheat the oven and put pizza rolls in there as well as I can. Now, his Grammy still babies him, and she'll still do it. I ain't doing that. So he could only speak to them as immature Christians. That's all Paul could do. He's ready to move on. Let's move. Let's go. You should be teaching this stuff now. You, you should be discipling someone. You've been saved how long, and you have never discipled anyone? Why? Why haven't you? Please don't tell me you don't know how. That would be a lame excuse at best. Because we've taught you how. You should know how. Why aren't you doing it? You're still drinking milk. Not 
solid food. They weren't able to receive it yet. Even then they weren't able to receive it. Now here's a result of not maturing. There's a result in here of not getting off of the milk and getting onto solid foods. And the whole, everything we've taught you so far in this book is kind of pointing to this moment. Paul's about to get in their, in their uh, face a little bit. He's like, he's been being kind so far, and he's still being kind here, but he's about to say, okay, there's a problem. What's the problem? Well, let's look. For you are still fleshly. You're still acting according to the flesh. You're still letting the flesh dominate you. You're living a carnal life. That's what he's saying. That's why I can't give you anything besides milk. Well, let me, before I get, oh man, forgot about a point I wanted to make. All right. So, I mean, it's not that critical, but I want to say it because it's something I came up with, okay? So, I was thinking about this. Babies. Babies. You know, when they're born, like my, my daughter was born 8 pounds, 12 ounces, right? About three weeks later, she weighed, she weighed about 12 pounds. Yeah, she was really an eater. All right? And what I love, you know what I love? I don't, I, don't take me wrong on this. I love a baby when they get that plumpness to them. That butterball turkey look, you know, where everything you pinch has got cellulite on it. You know, you love to grab their little legs and tickle them and do all that. And they're kind of big and kind of, just kind of, pardon the word, chubby kind of, you know. But it's because they just drink a milk and there's no activity. They're just drinking milk and they're just getting fatter and fatter. What happens in life? You start introducing solid food. You start introducing solid food. You know why you introduce solid food? because you want them to sleep through the night. Yeah, you all acting like you never realized that. You all know that when you introduce solid food, there's a better chance they're going to sleep all through the night. Less responsibility from your end of things. A little bit more on them. You're going to take them, whatever messes they create, they start learning how to clean those messes up themselves. Right? Because it's not just about feeding them milk. It's about all the other things that comes with you having to feed them milk. You've got to be responsible to do everything for them. And now he's saying, let's introduce some solid food so you can get your feet under you by yourself. You ever notice that plump little baby? Like they're eight or nine months old. They, they look like they weigh about 140 pounds. But about two years later, when that solid food gets introduced, they learn to walk. They start talking. They start playing in the room by themselves. They start doing, they can start to, help you get the diaper to change them let me tell you something if they can get the diaper to tell you to change them they can they can do without the diaper you got to get that transposed across but they start to do that and they start to become muscly and lean they thin out they get taller are you today when you think about this are you that plump baby Or have you started to lean out? Don't answer, because it's already convicting enough. And that's the evidence. Here's the evidence that they're not growing. The evidence is in verse number three. It's very clear. He says, for since... There is jealousy and strife among you. Are you not fleshly? Well, here you go. I put down that this is a fruit of the flesh. It's a fruit of the carnal believer. Jealousy and strife. Dissension, division. Jealousy and strife is where all that begins. You know what jealousy is? You're doing something that I should be doing that I'm not doing, and I'm jealous of the fact you're doing it and doing well. You know that that's a battle within the church. It's a battle in this church. It's a battle in this church. It's a battle from the pulpit. It could be. I hope it's not, but it certainly could be. I, I could hear about somebody doing really well in ministry within our ranks here at Valley Bible Church and I can be like well who do they think they are 
Don't they know I'm the executive pastor? How can they be doing well? And you know what can happen? If you're not careful, the strife part happens because you start pushing them down. You don't give them opportunity to minister because you want to be the one that does that. Oh, none of you have ever experienced anything like that, I'm sure. Not at this level, but you've experienced it. You know, when I first experienced this, it was when I was filming baptisms for my wife of a group of women that she had discipled. I wasn't discipling anybody. I didn't even want to. But she was discipling these women. She asked me, can you videotape their baptisms? Sure, I'll do that. You know, because I was too busy to be doing Christian work. Too busy to grow up. But I said, oh, absolutely, I'll film it. So I'm filming this. And woman after woman, matter of fact, Nicole's mom, I think, was in this group, went into that tank. Well, why are you here getting, well, man, you know, Lynn Howard's been teaching us that we, we should get baptized. We're following Christ. We should get baptized. I'm there going, what in the world is going on? My wife is really ministering to these folks. Why am, why am I not doing this? Well, that was the dumbest question you could ever ask yourself. You know why you weren't doing it, because you weren't growing. I wasn't growing up. I wanted someone to minister to me. Let me tell you, if you come to church every week, and you're here more than about two years, and you come just to see what someone's going to do for you, that is immaturity. You need to develop a way in your life that says, I'm going to church to see what I can do for someone. Some of you believe that. It's the truth. So it happened to me. But through that little analogy or the lesson that God taught me through my own wife, I went, man, I need to get busy. I need to get busy. You know what sometimes keeps us from getting busy and changing how we act is sin gets in our way a little bit, that flesh. You know what fleshliness is, carnal is, is just me getting what I want. That's all it really is. I'm acting according to my flesh. I want what I want. I have desires that need to be fulfilled. And guess what? Following God just isn't, isn't fulfilling those. You know what I found out about most people that will make that statement? They've never followed God. If you follow God, he'll fulfill all your desires, and at the same time, his desires will be fulfilled. The problem is we get these desires and we want to hang on to them. I have permission from my daughter to tell you this story. I didn't have permission in the first service, but I asked for it between. <laughs> Two weeks ago, my Amanda, my, my little girl that we brought home from the hospital when she was a little tiny thing, and uh, she called me. And Lynn and I were on, our, on the road on the way home from a vacation. And uh, she says, Dad, I need to talk to you about something. I said, sure, what's up, kid? She goes, well, I wasn't really going to talk about this with you, but now I'm going to talk about, you, about this because we're on the phone. I said, sure, what's going on? She says, um, you know, Dad, for the last 25, 30 years, I've lived my life in an adverse way to what God would have me live it. And um, I've, I know that I've been in sin this whole time well you know already as a pastor I'm going well this is the first step in a really good direction because once you can admit that you're sinning then you can do something about it and she says but I'm going to tell you something dad I, I felt like I could do everything else in this Christian life but there was this one area where the desire that I had was too strong for me to deal with so I just couldn't get past this desire. Now, none of you know what her desire was. I won't go there. But she goes, I just couldn't get over that. I, I couldn't get past it. I said, okay, well, that's good. I'm glad you're acknowledging that because me and mom have been praying for you for 30 years, right? So uh, she says, you know what I did, Dad? No. About a year ago, I wanted to stop doing this thing, but the desire was just too strong. 
So about a year ago, I started praying and I started to ask God to change my desire. Oh, guess what? I've been acting according to my flesh and I can't get the maturity that's required for me to have an adult relationship with the Father. I want to have an adult relationship. And so I, I just ask him to change my desire. And I told her, I said, Amanda, let me tell you something. You know why people don't say that prayer? Because they like their sin too much. They like the flesh. They like the desire. And my flesh cries out, and I want to fulfill it instead of doing what God is asking me to do. But if you ask that of him, I promise you, if you've got a desire that goes opposite of what his desire is, and you ask him to change that desire, he will do it. It's within his will. And so she says, Dad, it's been eight months, and I haven't had that desire for the last eight months. Now, you know, that's, that feels like, to me as a dad, I'm like, well, that feels like a baby step. But boy, it's a big baby step. It's a huge baby step. You've got to change your desires if you want to be spirit-minded. You have to. It's up to you to change your desire. You can pray for God to change your desire, and he will do it. Because he wants you at that mature level. He didn't save you for you to sit on the sidelines in a crib and cry, someone help me all the time. All right. Jealousy and strife among you. This is the evidence that you're living according to your flesh. There's jealousy and there's strife. And you are fleshly. Are you not acting fleshly when you're jealous of others and when you have strife? And how was that represented for them? Well, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos. And, they, and earlier in, the, in chapter 1, I believe it, he says, I'm of Cephas, and I'm of Jesus, and all these different I am ofs. And all that is is competition. It's competing. You're competing with one another. Are you kidding me? Paul's about to set them straight, though, thank goodness. Because they're just acting like mere men. There's three things I see here. Three terms for the immature. Infant in Christ. You're fleshly and you're mere humans. And you, are, you have access to the mind of Christ. According to the last verse of chapter 2, we have the minds of Christ. But you know what? We choose to say, I'm going to set that aside. I want to do what I want to do. counseling we say that I know what I'm supposed to do I, I've been giving the prescription the, the counselor has told me biblically what I'm supposed to do but I'm just not ready to give up what I want to do oh then stay miserable because that's what you'll find if you belong to him and you want to live sin you will be miserable you will not know the joy of the Lord. You just won't. But let me tell you, get on this side of the fence. Do what he tells you to do. And the joy of the Lord will be yours. It'll be a joy like you've never experienced. Money won't do it. Sex won't do it. Pornography won't do it. Robin Banks won't do it. Whatever it is that you're into, it will not please you like following after the Lord. You're an infant. You're acting according to your flesh. You're just mere men. You need to take on some solid food. You need some solid food in your life. I wrote down three or four areas that I think that they're milk. They're, these are good things. When you're a baby, milk is the best thing for you. But when you've got to grow up, you've got to get meat. Listen to this. Christ died for my sins. That's milk. I discovered that Christ died for my sins, was buried and rose again when I was just a baby. I was just an infant at that point. I was just born again. There's new life, but it's a very immature new life. But listen to this. What if you know this? 
We died with Christ to sin. Well, wait a minute. That's another step, guys. I no longer have to sin. Why? Because Christ died for my sins. And now I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit. I got the Trinity living within me. I got the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and they're working with me to make sure I have a way out of sin. The knowledge of the gifts of the Spirit, that is milk. Just knowing that there's gifts of the Spirit, that's just milk. Hmm. These Corinthians and this church, you have the knowledge. You have the knowledge of the gifts of the Spirit. They knew all about that, but that was milk. What they did not understand was how to produce the fruit of the Spirit. How can we produce that fruit? Well, that's meat. You figure that out, you got some meat. You got some solid food. You might even grow a little bit. Later on, Paul was point out to them in, in chapter 12 here, he's going to point out to them, here is the gifts of the Spirit. And this is what he'll say. I, and I will show you a still more excellent way than even the fruits of the Spirit. You know what that is? Love. You're going to see that in chapter 12. I don't know who's going to preach it, but one of the three of us is going to. When you rejoice in hope of sharing the glory of God, that is milk. That's just milk. It's a great thing to hope for. That is looking forward to the glory of the coming of the end of life. But when you learn to rejoice in your sufferings, because you know that God is working out something in your life that nothing else could do, that is meat. James 1, 2, I think it is. I suffer through trials that my endurance might be built. My, what do you say, the perseverance might be built. That I'll get more hope. That I'll get more faith based on walking through a trial with God because God's developing me in that trial. He's developing you. He's strengthening you. You cannot get muscle without lifting some weights. And a trial in your life is lifting the barbells. And it's going to be, and it's going to hurt for a while. It will. I don't know. I've never lifted weights in my life, but I've been told it'll hurt for a while. <laughs> but I know if I run... The next day, I'm playing a sore. And running to the refrigerator don't count. I'm talking about real running. So when you learn to rejoice in your sufferings, rejoice in them. To say, Lord, you're putting me through the ringer right now. But you told me that I could, I could rejoice in the trial. Rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Be anxious for nothing, but by prayer through supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding is yours in Christ Jesus. That is growing up in the Christian life. I know there's a trial. I know it's the best thing for me to get through it. And guess what? The hardest thing about a trial is never, you never know when it's going to end. You're never sure when it's going to end. And I hate to tell you this, people, but, well, I don't hate to tell you. I'm going to tell you anyway, but I love this statement. You're either going into a trial, you're in a trial, or you're coming out of one. And guess what? When you come out of one, guess what's around the corner? You're fixing to go into one. And what does he do? He's growing you. Think about when you first got saved. If you're a mature Christian in this room, you think about when you first got saved, the little things that would just knock you off course. And now you're like, I ain't got to worry about that anymore. I ain't got to worry about that. I know that if I sin, I've got an advocate sitting at the right hand of the Father. All I need to do is go, Lord, I messed up again. I messed up again, Lord. I didn't do it on purpose necessarily, but, well, I probably did do it on purpose, actually. But, Lord, can you just please forgive me for that? And what's he say? He's faithful and he's just to forgive you. Oh, it's already been paid for. He just wants you to acknowledge him so that you can be back in fellowship with him. 
Because there's nothing more miserable than living in a home with someone that you're not getting along with. Nothing more miserable than living with your wife or your husband when you've been fighting with them. It's miserable. And you want to get it right. I can't stand to be at odds with Lynn. Drives me nuts. I'll admit I did something wrong, even if I don't think I did, just so I can get back in the fellowship with my wife. But listen, you've got God living in you. That's how close that relationship is. Good luck for getting away from that one if you're sinning against him. He's going to make you miserable. That's my promise to you as a pastor this morning. If you sin against him knowingly, he's going to make you miserable. Praise God he's going to do that for you. Yeah, because by doing that, you're going to say, I don't like this. How do we get past this trial? Oh, there's ways to get past it. I would start with praying if it was me. And then I would take a look in the mirror. You know what we like to do? We like to look at the other guy. Well, I'm better than he is. So what? That, don't, that, don't, that still doesn't tell you that you got a big pimple on your forehead. Looking at, if I look at Edu, that doesn't tell me anything about my face. I might have dirt all over it. I gotta look in a mirror to see what I gotta do. Right? You're here this morning saying, well, man, I'm, I'm doing better than most people out there. Out there. Well, Lord, I hope so. They don't know who Christ is. You gotta get out of the baby stage and get into where you can talk spiritually. Okay. Gotta move. Hey, I'm doing really good. I'm, I'm all the way to page seven. I didn't get to pass page five in the first service. So let's just take a look real quick, and then I'll let you guys get out of here. But you really need to hear all of this. Let me do this. If I can find the passage again. I have it here somewhere. All right, so let me read it out of here. I've got to put my glasses on, guys. Let's get to verse five. This is where Paul drives home. What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Look at what they are. They're servants. That's all they are. Look, don't compare Tim and me and Todd. Stop. Stop doing that. All we are is servants. Todd preaches different than me. Tim preaches different than Todd. And I preach different than both of them. Stop treating us like anything but servants. We're just in the will of God doing what he asks us to do. And we're doing the very best we know how to do it. But look, he even has this history. We're servants through whom you believed. Even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. What did they believe? In the gospel that was being presented to them. One planted the seeds, tilled the ground, planted the seeds. Another one came along and watered it. And then what happens? Let's see, I'm getting ahead of myself. I planted, Apollos watered, and then we made it grow. No, God was causing the growth. Listen, if you hear me share the gospel today, and I tell you what you need to believe in to become a believer in Jesus Christ, to change your eternal destination from hell to heaven. If I tell you that this morning and you get saved, I take no credit for that. I told you, that's all I can do. I can't make the seed grow. And neither can Todd and neither can Tim and neither can anybody else in here. God has to be credited. What happens is the Corinthians were worshiping men. They were worshiping men. I'm, I'm over here with Paul. I'm over here with Apollos. I'm with Cephas. And worship belongs only to God. So let's talk to the one, let's, let's worship the one that makes the seed grow. And then, verse 7, so then neither the one who plants, he's doubling down on this thought, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. We don't, we aren't anything. Todd pointed that out to all of you a few weeks back. You're a nobody. Yeah. We're nobodies. Yeah. I'm nothing. I'm not anything. It's the one who makes it grow that's something. But this I like. 
but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So I, I like that part because I think I do more than either Tim or Todd, and I don't want them getting any of my credit. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Teasing around. Thank you for laughing. But I get my own reward according to what I've been asked to do. There's a task that's before us. There's a task for me. Do you think I want to come here and tell you you're acting like babies? And that you're in your flesh and that you're carnal acting? No, I don't really want to. Well, yes, I do want to do that because it's in the word of God. But it's this thing of, I'm not the one to convict you of that. That's God that's supposed to do that. And he will. He'll cause you to grow. That's how it works. For we are God's independent contractors. No, we're God's workers. We're his fellow workers. We're in partnership with God. When you're discipling that new believer in your home, you're in partnership with God. You're trying to help them grow. You're in partnership with him. He's going to cause the growth, but he needs you as that intermediary. He doesn't need any of us, but that's what he chose to do. Thank you that he did. Because that means we get to be involved in the ministry of that, that only God can do. What a privilege. What a pleasure that is. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. You people in this building right now and in first service. I don't know if you've ever known that, but you're the field. You're God's field. You're, and you become the harvest of that field. You become the building. That's pretty incredible. You can go. I'm done. I'm sorry, that's a really crash landing, but I'm so far over right now. I said I'd let you out before 10 minutes. It's eight minutes, so you're dismissed. Thank you very much for being here.